So I'll be reading the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 8 tonight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that first verse again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is God's word for us, his people, tonight. I once watched a movie about a couple of families that were trying to escape from East Germany to West Germany. And this was back in the days after World War II when the Russians and sort of the West had divided up Germany. There was East Germany that was communist, pretty oppressive, not much job prospects, not a great place to live. And there was West Germany where life in general was just better. So these families wanted to get from the East to the West. They tried some different things, they thought through some different plans, and the thing they settled on was building a hot air balloon and drifting over the border one night. And they spent most of the movie that I watched hitting all kinds of different setbacks, having to figure out how to get all the materials they needed and build this balloon without the government finding out. But finally, they got the balloon built, and one night, these two families met out in a field, they got everything set up, they inflated the balloon, They got in, they cut it loose, and then they all just sat down in the basket and waited. The winds were mostly favorable, so they thought they'd make it, but they really didn't have any way to steer, and all they could do was wait. So through the night, they waited, they waited, they waited as they floated, who knows where. Finally, as morning started to dawn just a little bit, the hot air in the balloon ran out, and they landed in this forest somewhere. They didn't know where. So they sat there for a while, wondering whether they were free or not. 
if they'd landed back in East Germany and they were found in this balloon, they were either going to prison or they were going to get executed. Their lives were over. If they'd landed in West Germany, they were free forever. And after they'd sat there for a while, the fathers of the two families got up and started walking around trying to figure out where they were. And after a few minutes of walking, they bumped into a couple soldiers. And as you might guess, soldiers near a sort of contested border, kind of in the middle of the night, are not very happy to bump into people just wandering around. So they challenged these two guys, and they had a little bit of a conversation. And finally, one of the fathers just said, well, where are we? What? said a soldier. What do you mean, where are you? Where are we? What? what? Are we in the east or the west? Well, you're in the west, of course. And the two guys just screamed. And they jumped up and down, and they yelled, and they hugged each other. One of them pulled out a flare that they'd had as a signal, and he set it off. And the rest of the family saw that flare, and they knew they were free. So then they were all running around the woods for a while, yelling and screaming and hugging and dancing. So excited because they had landed in the right place and they were free things were going to be totally different now they had new hope they had new life they were free forever they had moved from the land of fear and death to a land of hope and new life now that's the kind of move that's the kind of thing that the first couple verses of romans 8 are talking about the book of romans is deep and it's wide There is a lot in this letter. But if you were going to summarize the whole thing in one sentence, the first verse of chapter 8 would be a pretty good summary. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Now let's just sit with that phrase for a minute. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. If we belong to Jesus, nobody can stand in front of us or stand in front of God and condemn us. If we belong to Jesus, nobody, not our worst enemy, not even the person who knows us best in the world and knows all our faults, not Satan himself can stand in front of God and give God cause to condemn us. If we belong to Jesus, we really do belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death, no matter what. There is forever no condemnation for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we have been moved from the realm of death to the realm of life in the Spirit. Romans 8 isn't telling us that we're free from condemnation for right now, but we have to worry that someday, somehow, we might again slip into condemnation. For those who belong to Christ, condemnation, guilt, no longer exists. It has been wiped out. Some people, some Christians even, believe that Christians' freedom from from condemnation is something that goes up, and goes down depending on how good our lives are. If we've done a certain amount of good compared to a certain amount of bad, we kind of get over that line and we're saved. But if we do too much bad, then we slip below the line and we're condemned again. In that view, being saved is a little bit like filling up a leaky bucket. 
To be saved, you need to keep putting water in there, but it keeps leaking out the bottom. Every time you sin, you lose some water, and then you've got to put some in again. You've always, always, always got to be pouring righteous deeds into the bucket. If you do something wrong, you have to repent and do something good so the water level goes back up. You do something wrong, you've got to go read the Bible and pray some more to get that salvation level back up. And you have to be always worried, how much water have I got in the bucket? How good have I been? How do my goods and bads balance out? And what does that say about my salvation? That's not the picture that Romans gives us here. People who belong to Jesus belong to Jesus forever. We don't belong to Jesus only as long as our good deeds outweigh our bad. We aren't in this constant cycle of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between being saved and unsaved. When Jesus claims us as his own, we are his people, period. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And verse 2 makes that point even more clear. It says there's no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. In Christ Jesus, God has moved us from the power of sin to the power of the spirit once and for all. We have been moved from the power of, this power of sin to the power of the spirit once and for all. And there's a couple little things in verse 2 that make this especially clear. First, you probably know that the book of Romans was written in Greek. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Greg talked about different ways that the Greek language talks about the past. So we're going to review that grammar lesson just a little bit a minute. There's two past tenses in Greek. The imperfect past tense talks about something that's going on and on and on. Something that happens again and again. So that's one tense, the imperfect to give you a uh, Blackhawks example, the Blackhawks took lots of shots on goal during the game. Happened a lot of times over and over again. That's the imperfect. But then there's also the aorist tense. And that's something that happened once and it was done. You use the aorist to talk about something that only happened once. So for example, you might say, the Blackhawks scored a goal with two minutes left in the game. It happened it was done. Ongoing action versus one-time completed action. And in verse 2, when Romans says that we've been set free, that's the one-time action tense. It's not saying that through, the, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life continually again and again sets us free from the law of sin and death. It's saying once and for all, once and done, the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. When we belong to Jesus, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. And to really get that bit of Romans, we also need to talk a little bit about what law means in verse 2 there. In the Bible and in the book of Romans, the law can mean any number of different things. But in this particular verse, what law probably means is like a force or a power, almost like a kingdom or a realm, a place. So people who belong to Jesus 
have been moved from the realm, from the place, from the law of sin and death, and they've been moved to the place, to the kingdom, to the realm of the Spirit. In Christ, the Spirit has moved us to a different place, set us free from the land of death, and brought us to the land, to the kingdom of the Spirit of life. The Lord moves people who belong to him from sin and death to life. We couldn't get there on our own, but in the work of Christ, God opened the way for us to get there. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, Jesus has fully paid for all our sins with his precious blood, and he has forever set us free from the tyranny of the devil. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. We've been moved to a new realm. We belong to God forever. But once we've made that move, we can't just relax and live like how we used to live. Because the Spirit gives us life, we now live according to the Spirit. Because the Spirit gives us life, we now live according to the Spirit. For those families who escaped from East Germany to West Germany, one part of the story was finished. They had made it to the land of freedom and life, but then they still had to get on with their lives. They had escaped to a new, better country, but then they needed to learn how to live in that country. They needed to leave behind a lot of their old ways, learn new things, and live in a different way. It just would not have made sense for them to live according to the old ways when they lived in the new place. Now, verse 5 shifts the focus to this point. It just wouldn't make sense for people who belong to Jesus, people who have found life through the Spirit, to keep having our minds set on our old sinful ways. We aren't talking about our eternal destiny at this point. We're talking more about the lives that we live day to day. And day to day, whatever preoccupies our minds controls our lives. Our minds will be set on something, and if they're set on anything besides following God's will and living in the Spirit, we are again submitting ourselves as slaves to sin. One of my aunts has a sign up in her house that says, if you want to know where your heart is, look to where your mind goes when it wanders. If you want to know where your heart is, look to where your mind goes when it wanders. These verses from Romans invite us to do a serious heart check, a serious check of where our minds take us. So where does your mind go when it wanders? When there's nothing to distract you, what do you think about? What do you think about when you're laying awake at night? And those things that you think about at those times, those are probably the things that your heart is most focused on. Now, I would guess if we're honest, most of us aren't too happy if we think about where our minds go when they wander. When we really ask ourselves those kinds of questions, the answers, at least for me this week, certainly was not always to my liking. We far too often have our minds set on the wrong things. And even though we belong to Jesus, our hearts are far too often pulling us toward other things. 
So Romans invites us to do a heart check. Where do our minds go when they wander? What do we set our minds on? But then Romans also gives us hope. God has rescued us from condemnation in Christ Jesus, and we aren't back in some kind of new legalism. Instead, we see that God is at work through his spirit to transform us and to renew our hearts and minds. We don't do this on our own power. We live in the spirit, and by the spirit's power, we work to keep our hearts and our minds focused on Christ Jesus. Because God has saved us, we do have an obligation to work in the Spirit's power to put to death the sinful nature. But this isn't an obligation that comes out of fear or out of guilt. It's not that we're trying to earn our salvation. This has absolutely nothing to do with whether we're good enough for God. We never could be good enough for God. But God saved us anyway. He moved us into his people. He made us people who belong to him. This is not about filling up our spiritual bucket enough that we're saved. This is about growing in the relationship we have with the God who loved us so much that he died to save us. This is about living out of gratitude, not out of guilt. And as long as we're living out of guilt, as long as we're following God and doing good things because we feel guilty, our only motivation is going to be to do just enough. We'll want to serve God enough to keep him happy, but we'll always want to keep some part of our life, some of our time, some of our energy, something that is just ours and belongs to just us. But that's not the picture that Romans gives us. God has saved us entirely but then we need to give all of our lives over to him. And that's why when verse 13 says that by the power of the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body, it's talking about total war. Put to death there means a violent and total eradication of something. Because we live by the Spirit, we now fight a wholehearted battle against sin. When we are in the Spirit, we are fighting a ruthless, wholehearted battle against sin. This is a take no prisoners, give no quarter type of conflict. Every year or two, if you're a sci-fi fan, there's some science fiction movie that comes out with kind of the stock evil alien invaders. And for that type of movie to work, the aliens have absolutely nothing sympathetic about them. Usually they've come to wipe out the human race, take over the planet. They don't want to negotiate. They have no interest in anything except wiping out humanity. No compromise is possible. It's them or it's us. It's total war. And that's what Romans 8 is talking about. The only way to deal with the alien power of sin in our lives is to wipe it out. There is no compromise we can make with sin. Sin has no interest in negotiation. It has no interest in giving us part of our lives and taking only part of it. Sin wants all of us. If we aren't fighting a total war type of fight, we are not doing what we need to do to really follow our Lord. 
Because in Jesus Christ we are set free from the land of sin, because we're free from condemnation, because we belong to God, we are called in the power of the Spirit to wage total war on our sinful nature and on sin in our lives. Let me talk now about three great resources we have for doing that and then suggest a strategy to make this work in our everyday lives. This is not something that we can do ourselves. This isn't something that we can just say, I'm going to really, really make this work. I'm going to try hard, and I can do it. I hope this isn't news to you, but you can't do it. You can't live a perfect life on your own. You need God's help. So I'm going to talk about three great resources in this struggle, the Savior, the Scriptures, and the Spirit. The first great resource we have to change our minds, our hearts, and our lives is our Savior, Jesus himself. Jesus came and he accomplished our salvation. We don't live in guilt anymore. We don't need to earn our salvation. And that sets us free to live in gratitude and joy. Jesus gives us assurance of salvation if we belong to him. The second great resource that we have are the scriptures, the word of God. The Bible teaches us what we need to know about God and about ourselves. It reshapes our hearts and our minds. It reorients us and shows us the journey we need to take. By ourselves, we don't necessarily know how to follow God, but the Bible teaches us and encourages us and shows us the way. And the third great resource we have is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us new life and new power. The Holy Spirit gives us what we need to fight sin and to live for God. Without the Spirit, none of us would have turned to Christ in the first place. Without the Spirit, we do not have the strength to set our minds on Christ. But because the Spirit is at work within us, because the Spirit is at work within you, you can grow in the life and the peace that God gives His people. So as we fight this ongoing war against sin in our lives, we look to our Savior, we look to the Scriptures, we look to the Holy Spirit to give us assurance, instruction, and power to set our minds on the things of the Spirit to live into God's kingdom. Now let me close by suggesting one practice that can help us as we battle sin in our lives. I'm actually getting this idea from Tim Keller's commentary on this text, just so everybody knows where the credit is due. A color says that many people have these running legalistic sermons in their heads. We tell ourselves, God will be mad at us if we do something wrong. If I do that, God will get me. These sermons tell us, well, other people will look down on us if we do wrong things. This won't look good to the rest of the people I work with or to my family or to my church or whoever. Or they remind us of our pride. If I do this, I'm going to hate myself tomorrow. Now, these legalistic mini-sermons may be true sometimes, but they get us all focused on the wrong things. They get us focused on trying to earn our place in God's family, trying to earn our way into salvation. Or they get us focused on what other people think of us. Or they get us focused on our own pride. They get us focused on, I'm going to be the type of person I want to be. And if we get too focused on any of those things, we're enslaving ourselves again to sin and death. 
So what Keller suggests is that all of us adopt a new preaching strategy for those many sermons running around in our head. Instead of focusing on the law, instead of focusing on other people's opinion, instead of focusing on our pride, he suggests that we focus on God's grace to us. In Christ, we are free. There is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us new life. I want to grow in the life of the Spirit. The Spirit gives us the power we need to fight evil. And so we can remind ourselves, I want to do what the Spirit wants, not what the sinful nature wants. So my challenge to you tonight is to think of a couple little mini-sermons that you can start intentionally preaching yourself. There is no condemnation for me because I belong to Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I am set free from sin and death. Like those families that fled to West Germany and found freedom there, we need to remind ourselves that we live in a different place now and we're free to live in a new way. Living in the old way just wouldn't make sense anymore. Because we are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation for us. May we accept and live in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And because the Spirit of God lives in us, we can live according to God's ways. May we live, may we work in the Spirit to live according to the Spirit.